Isaiah 61. The first three verses reads this way. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Isaiah uh, prophesying under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit speaks about the spirit of the Lord being upon a servant upon a messenger. And then we read in Luke's gospel, chapter four, we're going to pick up in the 16th verse. So he came to Nazareth, speaking of Jesus, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captive and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he handed the book. Then uh, he closed the book and he gave it back to the attendant and sat down and the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Here we see really a a summary, a summation, if you would, uh, of of the mission of Jesus, why he came. He came for specific reasons. He was anointed for a specific purpose. He was sent on a mission by his heavenly father, but he came of his own free will. He, he could have, he could have said, I'm not willing to go, but he was in complete agreement with his father, even though it would cost him dearly. He left heaven to come to earth. He, he left a, a perfect place in heaven to come and serve us here on the earth. And so Jesus came for very specific purposes. You, we can we can identify them in the text, uh, but before we identify them, let's understand the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Let's look at the Spirit of the Lord. Jesus was just as much the Son of God when He was fifteen, when He was twenty, when He was twenty-five, but He never did anything in ministry until the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. And that was at his baptism. At 30 years of age, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. And then from that moment forward, for the next three and a half years, he went about doing the will of his Father. Now, this tells us something significant, that if we are going to do the will of God in our generation, then we also need the person of the Holy Spirit to help us because apart from him, we can do nothing. So Jesus, it says in the book of Philippians, emptied himself and came to serve us. So when he was born into this world, uh, he was born just like we are. He, he came into the world 
And uh, the world didn't know him, even though he had formed and shaped the world. It's a it's quite a mystery, but it's a, a phenomenal truth. But Jesus came and now God is clothed in flesh. We'll read a, a portion of scripture that uh, gives us a little bit more insight and understanding as to why Jesus came here in a minute that ties all of those thoughts together. But I think it's important for us first and foremost to acknowledge that he had to be anointed in order to do what he did. It wasn't just automatic that Jesus was anointed. Jesus was anointed. Acts 10.38 said how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil for God was with him. Consider those two verses of scripture. Luke chapter 4, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. This wasn't something that that Jesus, uh, you know, it wasn't Jesus' idea to come. It was the father's purpose to send the son. It was the son's will to do the will of his father in coming. And he came for very specific reasons. We're going to look at seven of them here in a minute. But and then and in uh, Luke's writing in the book of Acts, Acts 10.38, how God, God the Father, anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Now, none of us would question that Jesus is the Son of God. So we sometimes think, well, wouldn't he have all power? But he laid aside his divine rights and privileges, and he took upon himself the cloak of a servant, and he came to serve us. So he was anointed by God. It doesn't make him any less the son of God. But he is an example unto us in all things. And the only way he could be an example to us is if he became like us. Otherwise, he's not an example. He might inspire us. He might teach us. He might enlighten us. But we could never identify with him. But he identified with us so that we could understand how we could be used by the Lord also. Now, there's no one in the category of ministry like Jesus. Scripture said he had the spirit without measure. But here's the good news. We all have the spirit by measure. Every believer has the same spirit that Jesus had. Paul even wrote to the church and said, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead now dwells in you. So it's the spirit that's at work within us. And when we're yielded to the Spirit, and when we're led by the Spirit, then we bear the fruit of the Spirit or the evidence of the Spirit's work in our life. So Jesus was anointed to do certain things. And let's look at his mission. What was he anointed to do? The first thing that he was anointed to do was he came to fulfill all that was written concerning the law and the prophets. This is found in Matthew's gospel, chapter five, verse 17 and 18. And then Galatians chapter four is a great portion of scripture. It says in the fullness of time, God sent his only begotten son into the world in the fullness of time. When the window was right, when the season was the right season, he sent. And for it was this purpose to fulfill everything that was written concerning the law and the prophets. Jesus said, I didn't come to destroy, I came to fulfill. So everything that was written concerning the Messiah, Jesus understood his role and his purpose was to fulfill it. 
was to do it. Number two, he came to save us from our sins. That's number two. And in with your handout, one of the things that I encourage you to do is there may be a key word in each one of these statements and that that really describe Jesus' mission that I want you to circle that stands out to you. In in the first one, I circled the word fulfill. As I was preparing and reading, I thought about there had to be something for him to do. There was something for him to learn. He had to learn. He had to learn through reading and studying the law and the prophets. He had to understand what was written about the Messiah. In order to fulfill it, he had to know it. So he studied, he fulfilled it. And every time it came to a messianic prophecy or portion of scripture, he knew that that was what he was to do. That is what he was to do. That's why he was sent. That's why he came. In the second reason why he came, I I circled the phrase, save us. The two words there, save us. Well, that tells us everything about the human condition, that, that we needed a savior. We needed a savior. He came to save us specifically from our sins. And this is where I want to read to you out of Matthew's gospel. If you'll just listen to these words. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1, and verse 18 through 23. It says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother, Mary, was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found a child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Why? For he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be, what's the next word? Fulfilled, fulfilled, which was spoken By the Lord through the prophet saying, behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. He came to save us from our sins. The very announcement of the angel proclaims the purpose for his mission to save us from our sin. Number three, he came to call sinners to repentance. The thing that I thought of when I when I understood this purpose was a call. A call means that he is, he is heralding a message. He's, he's, he's trying to gather and he's calling us to come. He's calling us unto himself. And he's calling us so that we could understand that repentance is the, is the message of mercy. That when God is saying, change your path, change your mind, you know, change your direction. He's giving us time and space to do so. So this call is to repentance, to consider God in light of our ways. Number four, he came to seek and save the lost. And I circled the word seek. You might, you might circle another word. So if you're looking for something, there's a reason you're looking for something. Number one is that it has value to you. You're not going to look for something that's that has no value. So if you begin to seek for something, it's important to you. 
it has value. And, and then secondly is you don't want it, you don't want it to be lost anymore. Seeking means that something needs to be discovered, something needs to be found. Well, in this particular case, the value that he sees in us should be one that humbles us greatly. He came to seek, to seek. He sought us out. He called us. He came to us. He's beckoning unto us and to save the lost. All right, number five, he came to give his life as a ransom for many. As a ransom for many. I'd I'd like to read uh, both of these, both in Mark's gospel and and Matthew's gospel, are parallel scriptures. And so I want to take the reading out of Mark chapter 10. In verse 45, and it communicates this. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. The greatest display of servanthood was when Jesus offered up his own life his own blood, to pay the ransom note that was held against humanity. So he came to pay off the ransom note. And there was only one thing that could pay that note off, and that was his life for our lives. He gave his life for us. So this, once again, communicates the great love and the great worth and the great value that God places towards man. Even though we're lost, even though we're sinners, even though at times we resist him and run from him, even those times we disobey him and disappoint him, he still sent his only begotten son to us. This is the mission of Jesus. Now, before I finish with the last two, I want to remind you, if you can understand the mission and the ministry of Jesus, you can understand more of the heart of God. So Jesus, everything that has already been communicated, everything that I've already reminded you of or instructed you about is not about Jesus. It's about Jesus doing something for us. And in the end, because he gave his life for us, He is the most highly exalted and he has the name above all names. And his name is to be praised. His name is revered in heaven and earth and under the earth. And he is to be honored. He is to be worshipped. But when he came, he came for this specific reason. He came to fulfill. He came to save. He came to call. He came to seek. He came to lay his life down as a ransom. Number six, he came to do the will of the Father. Now, this gets back to a point that I made earlier and to just give you some scripture that will help you to understand how Jesus arrived or the condition in which he arrived or how he conducted himself while he was here on the earth. I want you to turn back to Philippians chapter 2. And Laura, thank you for just being uh, flexible because I didn't give her some of these references. But as I'm sharing, I just feel like it's important that we go back and take a look at some of these uh, references because it really helps us to understand uh, 
the mind and the heart of, of our Heavenly Father. Okay. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Here's an appeal to us. Who being in the form of God or the nature of God. Did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. But made himself of no reputation. Taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death. Even the death of the cross. Therefore, because of this, God has also highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and those on the earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Here is here is Jesus coming to serve us. And in order to do that, it gives us the steps in which he had to take to fulfill his mission from the Father. And it's very overwhelming. The thing that, that I, I take away when I read this, as much as, as, any, as any portion of these truths, is that he was equal with God but he made himself of no reputation. Jesus was not going to exalt himself. He was going to humble himself. Jesus was not going to come and promote himself. He was going to come for us. So this is the mindset that God wants us to develop. It's a process. Jesus understood it, was obedient unto it, and because of that, he is highly exalted. We are learning from him how to do this. We are becoming more like him. He is working in this area of our life so that it's not about us or a reputation that we could garnish or gain but about doing the will of the Father, doing God's will, God's way. And the appeal is, let this mind or let this type of thinking be active. Let it be recognizable in your life. Jesus didn't look at this as he was losing. He looked at it, he was winning us back to God. He wasn't losing anything that he was But in order for him to gain us and create a path, that he had to give himself to this path. So number seven, he came to give us eternal life. And that tells us everything that we need to know about where we were. We didn't have life. We were dead in our trespasses and sin. So these are the reasons why Jesus came. This is his mission. And all of us, I would say, are very comfortable and even to a degree familiar and acquainted with each one of these truths. I I think if I was to give you 30 minutes and I was going to say, you know, prior to the service, hey, take 30 minutes and, and write down a few reasons why 
Jesus came. And, and then we gathered all of the, all of the, the paper. Uh, these seven would be on there. I, I don't think they would, I don't think you guys would have missed any of them. But if, if we're not careful, some funny thinking can enter into our mind when we're hurt, when we're broken, when we're sick, when we're afflicted, when we're wounded. Sometimes we forget why Jesus came because suddenly we're focused on our pain, our suffering, our sorrow, our inabilities, our insufficiencies. And then we begin to ask questions like, well, what if Jesus came for all these reasons, why do all of these things happen? Why are they a part of my life? What is going on here? And we have to go back, I think, at that moment when we're wavering or halting between two opinions. Since Jesus came for this purpose, he was sent for these reasons. This was his mission that the Father assigned unto him. And when he said, it is finished, he is speaking of everything that we have looked at this morning. It is finished. Everything was fulfilled. Everything was done. Everything was done well. Every I was dotted. Every T was crossed. So there's not anything else that Jesus can do. He did everything that he was sent to do. But there are some things maybe we can do. There are some adjustments that maybe we need to make. There are some things that maybe we need to lay down. There are some attitudes that we need to get rid of. There are some sins that we need to judge. There are some areas in our life that we need to present before God in order for us to appreciate and really appropriate by faith everything that Jesus has done. We can't earn anything that Jesus has provided, but I, I will tell you this, we can get ourselves out of place and out of position to receive. And God is not looking for us to perform, but there are areas in our life that I believe are preventing or hindering or keeping us from experiencing all Jesus came to do. And it's not just automatic. The blessings of God are just not automatic. And this is where the lines in Scripture, I think, are not blurred, but they're really clear. But sometimes we don't really understand our role or our responsibility in what he has done and what he's fulfilled and completed for us. So Jesus came, Jesus did what he came to do, it is done, it is finished, he is risen, and all is now available unto us. So what did he do while he was here? What was his ministry? This is the second part, and then I'm going to come back and sort of help us all to get over the hurdles that we need to in order to receive and to appropriate the blessings of God. So we've already looked at his mission. Let's look at his ministry. This is what he did. Let's go once again back to the Psalms and look at Psalms 40 
And this is a messianic psalm. So when Jesus was reading it, he understood that he was to do what this portion of Scripture was instructing. Psalms 40 and verse 6 says, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire. My ears you have opened. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require. And then I said, Behold, I come in the scroll of the book as it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God, and your law is within my heart. And then let's look at Hebrews chapter 10. And we can see the writer of the book of Hebrews is quoting the psalmist here, speaking about our great high priest, Jesus. And in verse 5, it says, Therefore, when he, Jesus, came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come in the volume of the book. It is written of me to do your will, O God. Previously saying, sacrifice and offering, burnt offerings and the offerings for sins you did not desire, nor had pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first that he may establish the second. By that will, we may have uh, that uh, by that <clears throat> we uh, will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. So the psalmist is declaring about the Messiah that that he would have an understanding that all of the sacrifices, all of the animals that were being offered in the Old Testament were not completely satisfactory. They weren't going to fulfill what needed to be fulfilled. They weren't going to complete They weren't going to pay the ransom note. They weren't going to redeem the lost. It it was going to take a perfect sacrifice. It was going to take the, the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. So when Jesus laid down his life, shed his blood, it was an acceptable sacrifice once and for all. It was something that redeemed us from the curse. It was something that brought us back to the Father. It was a path that was made into the presence of God. Through his own blood, he purchased us. The ransom note was paid off with his own blood. It required the blood of Jesus because the blood of the other innocent animals was not sufficient, would not fulfill everything that needed to be fulfilled, would not redeem the lost. But Jesus, understanding his mission, his role, his responsibility, did something. What did he do? He fulfilled what was written. Now, Jesus understanding human nature. How many of you understand that Jesus gets us and he knows where we're at and he came to serve us where we're at? Let's look at now Mark's gospel or Matthew's gospel, if you will. And this is what Jesus was doing the whole time he was here. So we understand that he was anointed by God. The spirit of the Lord was upon him. He was anointed to do good. He went about doing good. He was ministering to all who were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. The Spirit of the Lord was upon him because he had anointed him to preach the gospel. Yes, 
He had appointed him to minister to the oppressed, to those that are bound, to those that are blind, to set the captives free, all the above. We understand that. But here in Matthew's gospel, it reiterates, this is Jesus' ministry. This is what he did day in and day out. Now, we always include this caveat when I make that statement that, of course, Jesus prayed. Of course, Jesus was a person who was studious and was was studying the word of God. But in Matthew's gospel, chapter 4, in verse 23, it says, And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. Then his fame went throughout all Syria and they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments and those who were demon possessed, epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. Great multitudes followed him from Galilee and from Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea and beyond the Jordan. And here If you'll just turn a few more pages and look at Matthew's gospel, chapter nine, this same statement of Jesus ministry is written. Then Jesus, verse 35, went about all the cities and villages doing what? Teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Well, then he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So the works of Jesus, according to both Matthew 4 and Matthew chapter 9, were teaching, preaching, and healing. That's what he did. That was his ministry. Everywhere he went, he taught. And in, in teaching, he enlightened, he instructed people. And teaching establishes people in faith. And it roots out unbelief. It, it, and it dissolves fear. Because when you have knowledge of the truth, then you have faith. And when you have faith, you're not fearful. So Jesus went about teaching. The primary thing that Jesus did when he showed up in a new village was he opened up, many Bible scholars say, Isaiah 61, and he read it everywhere he went. And if people would believe that, and if people would receive him, then he could minister unto them accordingly. Those that were oppressed, those that were bruised, those that were blind, those that were in captivity, if they would believe that he was anointed by God, that he was the Messiah sent then they could receive their needs met. If they didn't receive him, then he couldn't do anything for them. See, a messenger has to be received in order for you to to be blessed or for you to be ministered to by them. As many as received him, he gave them the right or the privilege to become the sons of God. Many people rejected Jesus. Many people discounted Jesus and did not honor did not receive him, and in those people's lives, he couldn't work. You have to receive him in order for him to work his works, and his works are marvelous. They're magnificent. They're great. They're grand. They're stupendous, but they just don't happen because and manifest because people have needs. God meets needs in people's lives because people come to him to meet those needs. They acknowledge him 
as the one who meets those needs. Whether it's, you know, a broken heart, emotional trauma, abuse that has been experienced by someone in a relationship. He is good at mending and healing a broken heart. He's also very capable of ministering to every physical need that we have because he's still the Lord who heals us. Relationally, he's good, very good at reconciling that which is separated because there's one mediator between God and man. It's the man Christ Jesus. You get Jesus in the middle of people that are struggling relationally and they're going to quit struggling. Because he's going to help mediate that relationship. He is going to bring counsel to both of them. And in doing so, they have the opportunity to be reconciled. Jesus is the man in the middle. The man in the middle makes the difference. Do you understand that? The man in the middle makes the difference. When he was crucified, he was crucified between two sinners. Those that are lost. One called down curses, the other said, remember me. Which was Jesus able to minister to? He wanted to minister to both, correct? He was dying for both, but he could only minister to the one who was receiving him. Remember me when you come into paradise. He said, you'll be with me today. The other slipped off into eternity without God. So it's important, yes, for us to understand why he came, but it's also important for us to receive him, to listen to his teaching. Now, teaching instructs us. Preaching, preaching inspires us. I'm given more to teaching. Every now and then, I'll, I'll sense the Spirit of the Lord upon me to exhort or to preach. It's usually short and sweet. But it's meant to move us to action. Teaching enlightens us. It brings us out of the shadows into the light. What preaching does is it moves us to do something. The Spirit of the Lord, He's moved and something happened. Now, healing is all aspects of healing. And we're going to look at this more specifically in the upcoming days. We're going to look at the difference between healing and miracles. You know where we get the English word therapy It comes from a Greek word. And many times in Scripture, it talks about Jesus going about and giving therapy to people. This is a new wrinkle for some charismatic, for some full gospel people, because they say, well, if God just healed you, then you'd be healed like that. Healing is a process. Miracles are instantaneous. And Scripture talks about both. You know, Jesus went about in a circuit teaching, preaching, and ministering healing. Healing there implies that people were getting better each time they were in the presence of Jesus. Each time they heard his teaching and preaching, they were getting healthier. They were becoming more fruitful. They were getting whole. Jesus went about all the cities and villages teaching, preaching, and healing. The area in which he traveled was not geographically was not a huge area. He went into those cities multitudes of times. Multitudes of times Jesus went into certain regions and certain cities. And when the people would come, he would teach them. He'd preach unto them. He'd minister unto them. 
In some accounts, we can see all were ministered to. In other accounts, people would come again and be ministered to. We even see in Scripture, and we'll look at this in upcoming days, where Jesus ministered to some people in a community and they asked him to leave. They said, would you please leave? They weren't quite ready to receive him. Now, the ones he ministered to in those particular areas were completely well delivered. But then other people were like, that's a little too close to home for us. And so we're not quite ready to accept you. We're not quite ready to believe that the spirit of the Lord is upon you. We're quite, we're not ready. And so he would just move on at their request but he would come back and give them another another opportunity. We'll see that in the upcoming days. Healing is a process. Miracles happen instantaneously. Scripture says, as they went, they were healed. So whenever you have an opportunity to sit under good teaching, good preaching, then healing is taking place First and foremost, in your own soul, he restores our soul. There's something going on that's very, very beneficial for your own soul. You're gaining more of the mind of Christ. You're having more insight into the will and the ways of God when you sit under good teaching. It cleanses you. It's like taking, like giving your soul a shower. It removes the filth and the dirt, uh, the contamination of this world. And so that's a good thing for us to do is to sit under and to soak and to receive the teaching and the preaching of the word of God, because that has an effect and an impact upon us spiritually, emotionally and physically. So the works of Jesus, once again, what he did was he taught, he preached and he healed. And I want to close by reading a portion of scripture that's found in Mark's gospel, chapter six, because I've been over the last few minutes sharing various reasons why sometimes even though people know why Jesus came and what he came to do, they're still not receiving or experiencing the purpose for which he came. Primarily, people are not Receiving Jesus. And if you don't receive the messenger, you're not going to receive the message. And if you don't receive the message, you're not going to have faith to be healed. Let's look at Mark's gospel, chapter six. And let's look at Jesus as he traveled. It says in verse one, then he went out from there and he came to his own country and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue. Notice what he did in the synagogue. He began to teach in the synagogue. And many hearing him were astonished, saying, where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is this which is given to him that such mighty works are performed by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon, And are not these sisters here and are not his sisters here with us? So they were, what's the next phrase? They were what? 
they were offended at him. And Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. Verse 5 is one of the most astonishing verses in, in, the, in the New Testament in light of Jesus' ministry. Now he could do no mighty works there except he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their what? Unbelief. Notice where offenses lead, what offenses identify is there's unbelief there. He wasn't offended, they were offended. What he was saying is your offenses are the result of your unbelief. What didn't they believe? They didn't believe that the Spirit of the Lord was upon him. If he went into the synagogue to teach, what did he teach? Follow me for a moment. What was his primary message? Isaiah 61, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And they're listening to that, and you know what they're thinking? No, he's not. We know your parents. We know your siblings. We know you. You're not the Messiah. And Jesus, they were offended that he was that he was stating what was written about him. And then, he, and then it communicates that he couldn't. Didn't say that he wouldn't, correct? Did he want to? Is that why he was sent? Was he sent to the lost house of the sheep of Israel? Was he sent to fulfill all that was written in the law and the prophets? Was he sent to seek and save this group of people? Was he sent to lay his life down as a ransom for this group? But because they didn't receive him, he couldn't do that. He couldn't do any mighty works there. And when you look at the language of this, of this in, in, in Greek, it just talks about he ministered to some, a few, very small group of people who had a few minor ailments and they're likened unto maybe a headache or something along those lines, but nothing significant. So I want to propose to all of us this morning that it's important for us to know his mission. It's important for us, though, and more important for us to understand how he ministers. Because in understanding how he ministers, you can have faith to receive him. He ministers through teaching, preaching, and then healing. Most people want the healing without the teaching and preaching. But if you're not taught and you're not inspired, then you're not able to keep what God gives you because there is a thief in the world who's come to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus wants us to be established in the truth, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. It's the freedom that he wants. So I'm going to close with this example is um, the president of our Bible school that Charlene and I attended was ministered unto at 16 years of age. After spending 18 months reading the Bible, he was saved. He was brought up in uh, a denomination that preached salvation. And so he was he was saved. He was born again. But in his particular denomination that they said, they said healing had ceased. That when the last apostle passed away, that, that it had ceased. And as he, and there he was, he had, he had five 
terminal diseases. Any one of them could have taken his life. And the doctor said, you're not going to live. You won't live into your 20s. And so at 16 years of age, he was miraculously healed and ministered to by the Lord. And he was raised up. He lived till he was 86. So that's a pretty good life. And ministered. And ministered along the lines of faith and healing. And this is what he said that I picked up as a nugget in the prayer and healing school was this. Every single day, even though he'd been ministered to, even though he had been raised up, he said, every single day I read portions of Scripture pertaining to faith because the just shall live by faith. Secondly, I read portions of Scripture every single day that pertain to God as my healer or my provider, my redeemer. Because I have needs, I have a physical body that has limitations, and I want myself always to be in position, postured before the Lord properly to receive from Him. And I've come full circle. That's why many people, even though they know why the Lord came, are not receiving their needs met. They're not properly positioned before the Lord. They haven't really understood what he communicated when he was teaching. And God is merciful. We'll cover that piece here in a little bit. God's not looking for us to be perfect, but he is looking for us to walk in the light that we have. He's looking for us to trust in him. He's looking for us to look unto him when we have needs. And when we do so, we see fulfilled why he came. In the volume of your book, O Lord, I come to do your will. He comes to do the will of the Father. And the will of the Father is found in the mission of Jesus. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope that it encouraged or inspired you to God's best. If you have any questions about today's message, need prayer, or would like to learn more about Living Word Fellowship, please call 641-828-7119 or visit us at lwfknoxville.com.